we have Scott Curran coming to preach 1 Corinthians 7. So he's welcome, embedded church planter. So his, his title is embedded church planter, which basically means the entire leadership team from the beginning of Park Hill Church has seen God's hand on this guy to plant out of Park Hill in a number of years. And so we're in the process of really clarifying that that on-ramp into, into this next phase for him over the next three to five-ish, six, whatever years, uh, anywhere in there where God is going to take him and take a team to plant a church out of this one. God's plan A for his mission to save the world is church planting, has been since the beginning. And so we believe God wants to do that through Park Hill, specifically through Scott Curran. And so in the meantime, he's here, part of the teaching team, part of the woodwork. So please welcome Scott. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, everyone. How was your Halloween? It was good. Yeah. I feel like 2020 for me was like realized when yesterday I was driving to a coffee shop and going to like look at my notes and what the teaching team had given me feedback on. And I was like, why is everybody all dressed up? I was like, oh, it's Halloween. <laughs> I had totally forgotten that it was Halloween. And then even later, I had realized that it was daylight saving. So that's 2020 for me. I, that used to be my, like my favorite holiday and just totally forgot about it. But yeah, so we have been going through 1 Corinthians as a church, and we are now at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where Paul starts to field specific questions that the Corinthians are asking him concerning um, marriage, singleness, divorce, sexuality. And honestly, these questions that the Corinthians are asking Paul are extremely similar to the questions that we ask about the same exact things um, as modern followers of Jesus in San Diego. And one of the issues that Paul addresses in chapter 7 is singleness. So we're going to talk about singleness today. Just for clarity's sake, I am single. And I, I say that because more often than not, the pastor giving the sermon, which is usually going to be titled something like the gift of singleness, is married. But I'm single. Most of my friends are single. Many of you here today who call Park Hill Church home are also single. And so it's safe to say that for the last few years, my life has been dedicated to living out and helping others live out the way of Jesus as a single person. But it's also strange, too, because for most of my life, except for, you know, a couple of relationships, I've been single. So today, I'm not speaking to you as someone who's removed from your context, if you're single here today. I'm speaking to you as someone uh, who's walking this journey with you on how to follow Jesus well, while being single. And what I've noticed through my own experience, as well as through conversations with friends and family and people at our church, is that there's this general angst and, and confusion about what it means to be a single follower of Jesus. Oftentimes, we actually even will ask ourselves uh, questions that lead us to this general sense of anxiety surrounding singleness. And although I can't address all of these questions today in one sermon, I found that these questions give us a glimpse at what our struggle is as followers of Jesus being single. So if you are single and you're here this morning, welcome. And you might be asking yourself questions like this. 
How do I remain faithful to Jesus while being single? Can I be celibate while sexual? Should I wait for God's timing or is it okay to use technology to find someone? Should I give my boyfriend or girlfriend an ultimatum so I can get that ring by spring? I haven't found any, anyone compatible yet. Should I date a supportive non-believer? Is it okay to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend because I'm really lonely? What if I never find someone? Can singleness really be fulfilling? What does it mean to wait while also being proactive and to desire passionately? Are there any eligible people at Park Hill? And if not, are there any eligible people at a different church that I can find around here? If I date someone at Park Hill and we break up, is it going to be awkward next Sunday? And so most of us are asking questions like this. And we come to the text this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, and we read Paul saying this about singleness. He says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. Now to the unmarried and widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so when I read this, I think, come on, Paul, how can you say something like that? I mean, to be honest, I definitely do not always feel as Paul does here about being single. It seems like Paul's having this fantastic time being a single guy while we're out here trying to wrestle through loneliness, anxiety, promise, and heartbreak. And on top of that, our culture also doesn't know what to do with single people. We have psychological studies that show anxiety and depression are higher among single people as opposed to married couples. Married people get tax benefits, lower mortgages, and concert discounts. Like, come on, really? <laughs> they get concert discounts. And even the American Journal of Epidemiology published an exhaustive study in 2011 about the health benefits of being married that revealed that there is a 30% higher mortality rate for single people than married people. Now, that study is not saying singleness causes death. But just let that sink in. Our country had people that study epidemics study singleness. And on top of that, not only does our culture not understand singleness very well, a lot of us tend to feel an internal pressure maybe from family. When you go to a family get-together and within 10 minutes, someone asks, so, are you dating anyone? And you're just like, no, I'm, I'm sorry I'm a disappointment, Grandma. <laughs> I mean, even when I told my family that I was gonna be preaching today and I was gonna be preaching on singleness, I got a flood of responses in our family group text chat saying, you should put your picture up there on a slide with uh, your number and call me next to it. And I was like, that's exactly why I'm preaching on this on Sunday. <laughs> and I would say probably by the looks of it, probably about 80% of you here feel at least something, if not all of that in your experience as a single person you, like me, might be wondering, how does Paul get to the point where he can say, I wish you were all as I am? Well, I think Paul's able 
to say this because he had a true, beautiful, and robust understanding of marriage and singleness. Paul had a lived theology of singleness that went beyond the way we have understood singleness in our culture. This lived theology, a right way of thinking about singleness that leads to right living is what allows Paul to say, I wish you were all as I am. But what's funny is that most commentators on this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, instead of focusing on Paul's reason for everyone to be single like him, focus on why Paul is single, which is the perfect depiction of what being single is like. Paul's like, everyone, I want you to be single like me, and I have all these incredible reasons for it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, Paul, but why are you actually single? We know what's important here. But I think the real reason why Paul says that his singleness is something that everyone should, be, should desire is because Paul had an encounter with the risen Jesus and was given a vision for what fullness in Christ looks like as a single person. Jesus gave Paul a vision for a new way to be human. And that is why Paul, as a single man, was propelled into, un, into an uncharted future and in 30 years turned the world upside down like he's accused in Acts 17. Paul's theology of singleness, he has this theology of singleness because he begins with Jesus. And so for us today at Park Hill Church in San Diego in 2020, to develop a theology of singleness we have to start with Jesus himself. Because the foundation of theology of singleness begins with Jesus. Don't just skip past the fact that Jesus was a single man. You might be thinking, well, yeah, but Jesus was God, so it doesn't really count. If you're thinking that, stop. There's a literal heresy called docetism that was dealt with by the ancient church. That's bad theology. Jesus was fully God, yes, and he was fully human. I mean, the author of Hebrews even says that Jesus was fully human and that in him, we have a high priest who is able to empathize with us because he was tempted in every way, just as we are and did not sin. Jesus is the perfect picture of what a fully flourishing human looks like and he was single. And this is something I think every single, single person uh, should take time to just sit with. Jesus, the single itinerant rabbi from Galilee, steps into the Jordan River to be baptized, and he hears his father speak over him. This is my son, who I love, and I'm pleased with him. And not only was Jesus' life an example of what a fully flourishing single life can be like, but one of his most controversial teachings was on singleness. In Matthew 19, the Pharisees bring to Jesus a debate about divorce that was running rampant in his time. There were two views, basically, on divorce in Jesus' time. The first view said that a man could divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever. So if she burnt your toast, gone. She's done. And that was actually the literal example used. <laughs> uh, the other view is that the only valid reason for a man to divorce his wife was in the case of sexual immorality. And so Jesus weighs in and says that divorce was allowed because of sin and the hardness of hearts. And that the only case 
for divorce was sexual immorality. And the disciples respond by saying, well, if this is the case, it's better to not get married at all. And Jesus says, yep, not everyone can accept this word. They can't accept this word about how difficult marriage actually is. It's only to those who it is given. And then Jesus goes into one of his most controversial teachings. He begins to describe those who cannot accept the word about marriage, eunuchs. Jesus says this, For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now Jesus is drawing a parallel between being single and eunuchs. So he gives three examples of what a eunuch is. The first is that there are eunuchs who are born this way, meaning for whatever reason, they were born with the inability to have children. Possibly we could think of also today the intersex condition or asexual or any kind of other sexual orientation that prevents you from having kids. But it seems like Jesus is aware of this broad spectrum of those who are born this way and considered to be eunuchs because for whatever reason they can't have children. The second type is that there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by others. And this is most likely referring uh, to a servant in a royal household. They would uh, be castrated so that they could live and serve with the family without the family being concerned. But then Jesus gives this third type of eunuch. And that is those who choose to live like a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And the one who can accept this reality should accept it, in Jesus' words. And this is the category that actually Jesus and Paul fit into themselves. And this is what is so controversial about Jesus' teachings on eunuchs. Eunuchs in Hebrew culture were considered to be outside the realm of God's covenant blessing because they could not procreate, have kids, become a patriarch, and create a multi-generational family. So in Jesus' day, a eunuch, by definition, could not live into the fullness of God's blessing. But Jesus takes this image that would be culturally offensive to the Jewish leaders, and he says there are those who, even though they might want to be married, choose to live like a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying that there are those who, for whatever reason, can't get married, can't have sex, can't have kids in the current moment, but commit to a life of celibacy and singleness for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is doing is he's pulling from an ancient promise out of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 56. Even though the eunuch was excluded from temple life and the physical covenant blessing that comes in the Old Testament, Isaiah says this, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temples and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters." I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. This promise, Jesus says, is available right now. By saying that people should live 
like a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom, Jesus is saying that God's blessing and favor is no longer just for those who can have families and land, but to the ones who give everything they have for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Before, eunuchs, those who couldn't have children for any reason, were not able to fulfill the command to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth with their offspring. But now, because of Jesus, they are invited into the great commission given by Jesus to fill the earth with spiritual children, to bring people into the family of God from all nations, raising spiritual children through discipleship. And this is a revolutionary vision for what it looks like to be a part of God's coming kingdom. And not only that, it's a revolutionary way to view being human. No other monotheistic religion teaches anything close to what Jesus teaches about singleness. For Muslims, it's considered to be an outright refusal of the law of Allah to not get married. For Jews, if you're a eunuch, you're barred from temple worship and the covenant blessing. And even for Mormons, if you don't get married and have kids, you cannot be exalted to the highest level of heaven. And Jesus cuts through all of that and gives us a new vision for what it means to be truly human. And I think that part of catching this vision is to look at how we talk as followers of Jesus about singleness. If you've noticed during this sermon, I've said the word single a lot of times. And wherever you see people preaching on this topic, it's usually about the gift of singleness or how to be single well. But if you look closely at what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians, he never uses the word single. He says, to the unmarried. And you might be thinking, Scott, is it really all that different? And I think that actually understanding this might make a difference in how we view singleness today. Now, I'm not saying we need to stop saying the word single or singleness. What I'm saying is that the way we think about being single in our culture does not line up with the New Testament. In our culture, single often has the connotation of being alone. I'm single, I'm one, I'm alone. And when we say singleness is a gift, we might possibly be misunderstanding what Paul says. We tend to think that the gift of singleness is the gift of us desiring or wanting to remain single. This is not what Paul is talking about here. Paul never says singleness is a gift. Paul says being unmarried is a gift. Being an isolated, autonomous human being is not a gift. Being a follower of Jesus, who's not married, but fully included into the family of God is a gift. Being able to sit on your couch all day watching Netflix with no responsibilities is not a gift. Devoting your free time to prayer and worship, serving your neighbors and soaking in the presence of God uninterrupted because you don't have a spouse or kids to look after is a gift. When you become a follower of Jesus, you are no longer single in the sense that you are isolated. You become united to Jesus and his church. 
the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and you are locked into union with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the word that's actually often used to describe this kind of relationship, ironically enough, is marriage. When you choose to live like a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven, you gain access to the kind of marriage that all Christians are anticipating in the future between Jesus and his church. That's actually why you might see a Catholic priest walking around with a ring, a wedding ring on their finger. Although Catholic priests can't get married, they wear their wedding ring to show that they are actually married to the church. Instead of making vows and dedicating themselves to one person for life, they make vows and dedicate themselves to the church of Jesus for life. Now, what if more people in the church caught this kind of vision for the kingdom of God? What if single people at Park Hill decided to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom and made vows in front of their community to serve the church and be faithful to their, uh, to their community their whole life? And what if married couples in their community made vows with them, to live with them and covenant with them, to serve their church and the community around them together as a family. You're probably thinking that sounds a little extreme. Well, we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, so maybe a little extreme beliefs and actions should be going together. But this is the vision of the New Testament. Marriage, at its best, is a beautiful and temporary pointer to the greater marriage we will have with Christ. It's a signpost in the midst of a fog pointing us toward a true north. But the opportunity given to single people to live like a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven is an opportunity for the veil between heaven and earth to grow a little bit thinner. And this is the invitation given to all of us who are single here this morning. Whether you have been single all your life, or if your spouse has recently passed away, or if you've gone through a divorce, Paul is inviting you to receive the invitation to live like a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, to throw yourself completely into the very heart of God and to receive a name that is greater than son or daughter. So as we come to the meal of Jesus together, what would it look like for single people at Park Hill to live into this vision of singleness? Whether you'll be single for a time or for life, what would it look like for us to live into this kind of singleness? Well, I think it would be something like Acts 2.42, the type of devotion that the church showed in Acts 2. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to being with one another, and to praying together. The early church threw themselves at the apostles' teachings, threw themselves at community, and threw themselves at prayer. Because their and because of their devotion, it says that people were filled with awe and wonder at the signs that were happening and being performed. What would happen in this city if all the single people in our church 
devoted ourselves to knowing the scriptures, to our communities, and to prayer. This is a call for all Christians, for sure, absolutely. But single people are given a unique opportunity to devote themselves to these things even more. I mean, some studies have shown that people spend on average just under 20 hours a week on social media. 20 hours a week on social media. That's a part-time job. And I, I totally understand that there are actually people whose jobs are to work on social media. But still, think of all the time us as single people spend on social media and think of how much that time could go to just experiencing the presence of Jesus in prayer. I mean, we just ended our month of crying out last Tuesday, a month devoted to praying every Tuesday evening. And it was an amazing month, crying out to God for our city. And all of it was made possible by the many, many single people in our church devoting themselves to pray with one another day in and day out. Powerful things are happening here at Park Hill for, prayer, for our prayer culture, and it's largely because single people are catching this vision of Jesus and of how to be human and single as a follower of Jesus, of dedicating themselves to the presence of the Spirit. Or what could happen if you spent those almost three hours a day studying the scriptures, spending time with the words of God, allowing it to shape your imagination and serving the poor and the refugee among you? What kind of people would we become as single people devoted to sucking the marrow out of every aspect and moment that God has given us for his kingdom? This is why Paul says that he wishes everyone would be like him. Because as he's going to go on to describe later in chapter 7, he wishes that everyone would be free from concern in living in undivided devotion to the Lord. He's saying to seize the moment of your singleness. Don't let it pass you by. If we devote ourselves in this time to seeking Jesus in new ways... If we devote ourselves in this time to seeking Jesus in new ways, I think that the world would be transformed by a generation of single people receiving the promise of what it means to live like, like a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And so before we eat and drink together as a family, I know there's probably a lot more questions than answers after everything I said. That's okay. I felt the same way about this, and I continue to feel this way. There are always more questions than answers. But my encouragement to you is to bring those questions into your community, because you can't be single alone. I can't tell you enough from my own experience how true this is. Once I became a part of a community that I chose to be committed to, I learned that even though I don't see myself being single for the rest of my life, I know that if I did choose it, I could live a fully flourishing life as a follower of Jesus in community. 
as a single person myself, I've brought my community into my life. And they've actually brought me into their lives. They know about the dates that I've gone on and encourage me to be a better and better single person following Jesus. And while most of them are married, they invite me to speak into their lives as well. And so this is the final and most important thing I want to leave with all of you here today. First to the married people. You need single people in your life. Invite them to speak into your lives and allow their spirit-filled single lives to influence and shape you in ways that make you more like Jesus. And single people, you need married people in your life. If you only surround yourself with friends who are in the exact same life situation as you, you're going to miss out on what true family inside the church can actually be. They can speak into your life with a level of maturity and wisdom that maybe you haven't experienced it yet. Because this is what the church is. It's a family, both singles and married people, living together in community for God's kingdom to come in San Diego as it is in heaven. So would you guys stand and pray with me? I just started to realize that most of the times when I teach, I ask people to stand um, to pray. And maybe that's something new to you. And the reason why I like doing that is because when we stand, we put ourselves in a posture of anticipating what God's going to do. So Holy Spirit, we invite you We are anticipating the work you are doing inside of us already that we may not even be able to sense, but we're ready for it. God, we thank you that you revealed yourself the perfect revelation of your love, of your power, of your compassion was in a single man named Jesus. Thank you for the truth that no matter what our uh, relational, socioeconomic uh, status in life is, we can live full lives because of you, because of your example. So would you come and teach us this morning what it looks like to follow you as single people to follow you as married people, living together to bring your kingdom to San Diego. Give us the vision that you gave Paul, the beauty that he saw in you that drove him to say, I wish everyone could live life like me because there there's fullness of Christ. Give us that vision, Lord. Show us what it looks like to give everything up, to live life like a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.